may invite you to open the Bible for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 40. Psalm 40. It's a psalm of King David and said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offering and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Now this is... A story from the life of King David. And it starts in a pit. David tells us that he was in a slimy and a muddy pit. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt that you are in a situation with no hope, no future, no way out. We were born in a pit. We were raised in a pit. Our pit was the communist pit. Being born in a communist land, as a child in school, you will be humiliated every day for being from a Christian background. Being told that there is no future for you. Being told that you are stupid and brain damaged. That you cannot understand, you cannot study because your brain has been damaged by the faith of your parents and the church you attend. Being a worker at your working place, you will be discriminated against. All the media, all the communist propaganda, every day will turn against you. If you dare to stand, you may be arrested, you may be put in jail. Bibles were confiscated and to one point the communist regime of Romania turned the confiscated Bibles into toilet paper. They will pull down church buildings. Arrest our pastors. In a church, you will not be allowed to select your elders or your deacons. You will not be allowed to buy a chair without clearing that with the communist regime. We were born and raised in such a pit. Pastor Samuel, his wife Anka, Others of us, we were born. Now, if you are in a pit, it may be different, maybe an emotional pit. 
this may be one of those times when you feel that emotionally you are falling apart. It may be a family pit. It may be a spiritual pit. It may be a financial pit. I do not know what the pit was there with, with David. All we know that he underwent a difficult time. Now what do you do when you are in a pit? One could do many things, but I'm afraid they will not help. If you are in a pit, you can look down and see how deep your pit is. Will that help? You can look around and see how ugly your pit is. You can get angry with your pit. You can blame your pit. You can even write a book about your pit and call it my life. It will not help. David said, I was there in a pit. It was slimy. It was muddy. I was in a time of despair and hopeless. And David said, there's one way. Look up. He said, I cry out to the Lord. From that pit, he looked up. Because that is the only way. When you are in a pit, the only way, the only hope is look up. And David said, I look up and I cry out to the Lord. So in the pit, he learned the lesson of prayer. In the pit, David became a man of prayer. Looking up, crying out to God. Now, there is something that is intriguing here because David said, I waited patiently for the Lord before he heard my cry. That means I've been praying. I kept on praying. I continued to pray. And I had to wait. I'm sure that it happened in the life of many of us that when we had a critical time, we had a need, we faced a challenge, we went to God in prayer, and before we finish our prayer, we got the answer from God. Now that's a glorious time. You feel like jumping with joy because you pray and God heard your prayer and right on the spot you got the answer. But did it ever happen to you? To pray, keep praying, and the answer is not coming. David said, I waited patiently for the Lord until he heard my cry. Now, why would God let us wait? Not respond right on the spot. Many reasons why. But let me mention one that it may not fit the American culture. But it's very relevant in the Romanian culture. You see, in Romania, once in a while, we have family tensions. I'm sure you never have. You are so sweet. You are so kind. I never imagine you having a disagreement, a fight over something, because you are so sweet. But you see, in Romania, we come from a Latin background. We speak with our hands. We get excited. And we may have disagreements. Now, a typical Romanian Baptist husband, having a disagreement with his wife, will go to his prayer closet, kneel down and say, Dear Lord, you see the crisis? 
dear Lord, help our family out of this. And dear Lord, change my wife. Because I am okay. She is not okay. Now, if you pray like that, you may pray for a long time. Because while David was there waiting for the Lord, something happened within his life. God dealt with his heart. How do we know that? David said, he put a new song in my mouth. Now, throughout the Bible, God will always put a new song when there is a transformed, regenerated heart. God will never give a new song to an unregenerated person. So David was there and God dealt with him and there in the pit, God did something amazing in his life. So if you are in a pit and you are there for a long time, the right prayer is, Lord, have mercy on my family and dear Lord, change my heart and let my wife take all the benefits. David was there. God dealt with him. So in the prayer, David experienced that supernatural, amazing transformation of his life. And when God heard his prayer and he got him out of the pit, David learned the lesson of praise. So he was in the pit, a man of prayer, and suddenly through that transformation, he came to the point of praising. And he says, God gave me a new song and opened my eyes. And many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. No one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, there would be too many to declare. I told you that we were born and raised in the communist pit. And from 1944-45 to 1973, the churches in Romania declined. Hundreds upon hundreds of churches were closed down. Hundreds upon hundreds of pastors were put out from their pastoral work and many of them ended up in jail. The number decreased and people were discouraged. 1973, there was a turning point. A pastor who was called to a ministry in very incredible circumstances throughout that time of Preparation to take over the pastoral work. He had a fresh encounter with God. And he became the greatest man of prayer I ever met in my life. He was the pastor of the church where Delia, my wife, and I attended in those days. Nobody knew that he would spend about eight hours every day on his knees before God in prayer. Eight hours a day. Cry out to God to deal with his heart because he was afraid to stand for the gospel, to confront the communist oppression, to proclaim Christ fiercely. As he prayed, God changed that man's heart. When he came on Sunday on the platform, we were trembling under his ministry. He taught us to pray. And he said, dare great things with God. Attempt great things with God. 
1973, under communist oppression, those of us who felt that we are in a pit, he encouraged us to pray and ask God to bring the day in Romania when the gospel we proclaim on radio and television and in the presidential palace, sports arenas, public schools, public squares, the gospel we proclaim throughout all the state institutions of the country. Those who heard us praying like that in 1973, 74, 75, the years to come, thought that we are either crazy or eccentrics. How can you ask God that the gospel be proclaimed on a communist television, communist radio network, in the presidential palace of a communist dictator? How could you dare to pray like that? This man taught us to pray and said, if God is God, he can work out miracles. So we began to pray. And from 1973 to 1989, we continued to pray faithfully. 1989, December, in a matter of days, the communist dictatorship of Romania crumbled like a sand castles. Do you know that Ceausescu, the dictator, was shot dead by his own army on Christmas Day, December 1989? His own army shot him dead. His own people shot him dead. The headline news of the country went like this. Christmas Day, Christ is born, Antichrist is dead. There is God. So David said, Lord, you are doing miracles. We come from the part of the world where God has done miracles, changed the history. When we saw how great God is, how he opened the door, we asked God to lead us, guide us. What should we do now that God has opened the door? Do you know that in 1989, the greatest mission field on that part of the world was open from Siberia to Albania. 11 time zones. 500,000 million people. Open for the gospel. What should we do? Well, we pray and we understood that political freedom is great but is not enough. People could be politically free and spiritually in bondage. Because only Christ can set us free. Is that freedom from the bondage of sin? He can take us out of that pit of sin. He can change our hearts. So we pray and ask God to lead us into evangelism. So we have prayed that evangelism will be uh, across the country, on sports arena, radio, television. So we had great evangelistic crusades. On stadium, and they tell you the first one. We have been praying, it was May 1990. We have been praying for a great crusade, and we had the great evangelist invited to preach for us. We rented the stadium, and everything was ready to start. That very morning, it started to rain heavily. So we pray all the day long and ask God to stop the rain, clear the sky because the stadium was an open stadium and who will come to hear the gospel on the downpouring rain. So we pray and we pray hard. One hour before the crusade was about to start, do you know what happened? 
absolutely nothing. It continued to rain. The evangelist that we invited said to me, Paul, let's take a taxi cab, go by, just in case someone will show up. Tell them that we cannot have a crusade tonight, we cannot have a meeting because it's downpouring, but encourage them to come next night. The two of us got there and couldn't believe our eyes. Over 60,000 people on that stadium waiting to hear the gospel. We're taken by surprise. We had no sound system. Uh, we had no choir, no uh, counselor. Nobody was there, just the two of us. And that huge crowd. So we stepped on the platform and we shouted the gospel. to 60,000 people. So he invited them to open up their hearts. Believe upon Jesus Christ. Get saved. And if that is what they want, they desire... They should come forward and we will pray with them. It was amazing because that huge crowd began to move forward. So he was a little confused, didn't know what I said. But did I invite him for something else? So he said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Went all over again to explain the gospel of salvation. He said, now, if that is what God is working through his Holy Spirit based on the gospel in your heart, come forward. And they were coming forward crying. I was there on the wet platform trembling and I looked to the evangelist and said, isn't our God great? These people are saved and baptized in the same second? You know, I am Baptist and they were all wet. But that was the hunger. So we decided that we will emphasize evangelism and went on television, asked for time on Romanian television to present the gospel. We were given half an hour every day, Monday to Friday. At that time, Romania had just one national channel, one TV channel for the whole country. You know what a blessing, no fight at home over channels. On that one channel, half an hour, we presented the Bible through television. Ask the people who view our program that they should write. And the response was overwhelming. Over 30,000 letters every day. Where can we get the Bible? Where is the church? When we realized what is happening, we decided that this is the time to plant churches. So we encouraged our people to plant new churches. And hundreds and hundreds of new churches were planted. Just to realize that we have no pastors, no elders, no deacons, no youth leaders, nobody to disciple those people. So we decided to develop this theological seminary that was underground, be they bring it above the ground, developing a full-scale theological seminary. And I went to Bucharest to register the school with the new government of Romania. Have it now a formally established, recognized theological seminary. Explain to the Secretary of State how many churches we have, how many pastors, how many elders, how many we need. He looked at me and said, Mr. Negruz, I need your help. The public schools of Romania are short of more than 25,000 teachers. Those vacancies are in the rural area. Now, how many of you visited Romania and visited the, the rural area? May I see your hands? Thank you very much. We have here a few witnesses. No transportation, no running water, no electricity. And this government official said, it takes a missionary to go there. 
But in public universities, we cannot train missionaries. Why do you want to have just a theological seminary and not a university? Why don't you develop double major programs? And your students could take theology, literature, theology, history, math, music, whatever you like, and they will be your missionaries and our teachers. I went home, talked to my colleagues, said, well, God is great, let's start a university. And it was a great beginning. Because we had nothing to start a school with. No campus. No library. Well, we had the library. 66 books. No budget. No faculty. Well, it was a great beginning. So we started the university. And we opened the door and we invited young boys and girls from former Soviet countries, uh, Russia, Ukraine, Moldova, Bulgaria, Serbia, other countries. We opened the door and gave them scholarship to come to study with us. What a great beginning. So David said, Lord, you are doing so many miracles, so many wonders, and I could tell you wonder after wonder. He said, there are too many to declare, and I realized that there are too many to tell them all in one meeting. But David said, I was there in the pit. I pray you transform my heart. You open my eyes, and now I'm praising you. Because you are working miracles. But you see, David was a devout believer. And when he saw how many great things God is doing, he felt that he should get involved. So he said, Lord, I would like to bring offerings and sacrifices. If you are doing such a great series of miracles, I want to do something. Now imagine, David planning to bring the greatest sacrifice of his entire life. Lord, are you happy? And God said, no, David. Lord, you are not interested in my offering and sacrifices? No, David. Let me try to illustrate that. Pastor, I hope I will not ruin the offering of your church. Will be like something like this. Somebody will say, Well, if God is working so many miracles, I want to write the biggest check of my life for missions. Lord, are you happy? Lord, you are not happy. Now, what do you want then? So David faced something that is amazing. It is it is shocking. God said, David, I'm not about offerings. And sacrifices. Instead, David said, you pierced my ears. Now, David lived in a culture that was not piercing friendly. In David's times, people were not enjoying piercing. So it's a different culture today. Some people are pierced almost everywhere. But in David's day, there was highly unpopular we read in the book of Deuteronomy that only one kind of people had ears pierced. And here is the story. In the law of Moses, slavery was limited to six years. If a man or a woman ended up as a slave, God ruled that slavery should last only six years. 
the seventh year will be the year of liberation. Now imagine, a man or a woman for six years being a slave. The master ruled your entire life. You had no rights. You couldn't choose. You couldn't have your wish. The master was in charge of everything concerning your life. Now comes the day of liberation. Finally, I'm free. I can go to New York. I can go to Vegas. I can go to Paris. I can go to Hawaii. I can do whatever I want. So those servants, they were so overwhelmed with the sense of personal freedom. Finally, I can do whatever I want. However, the Bible tells us that some servants on that day of liberation went back to their master and said, Master, I know that I am free. I know that as of the day, I can do whatever I want with my life. But master, in these six years of being your servant, I came to love you so much. Master, I love you so much that I do not want my freedom. I want to remain your servant the rest of my life because I love, I love you. The master will take, the, take that person and pierce that person's ear. Whosoever saw a man or a woman a boy or a girl with pierced ears, they knew that this is a slave for life because of love. Now David said, Lord, I want to bring sacrifice and offerings. God said, no, David, I'm not interested in your giving. I'm interested in your heart. David, how much do you love me? Now, friends, that means total surrender. We live in a time when many people will be interested of being co-workers with God in an advisory capacity. We'd like to advise God. God is looking for servants. So, when David understood that, you know what his response was? Dear God, I love you. Pierce my ears. Now you know, that scripture was taken by our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the book of Hebrews, is this quotation from Psalm 40. Jesus came and took a body, human flesh. And because he loves you and me, he went to God the Father and said, pierce me. And he was pierced on the cross. And that's the greatest declaration of love. David, how much do you love me? The question is for me and you. How much do we love God? How much do we love Jesus? What will be our response just a contribution or an advice or total surrender. Saying, Lord, I'm yours. For time and eternity. You die for me on that cross. 
I want to live for you here and all eternity with you. Now, if you are in the pit of sin, look up. Look up at Jesus. He can lift you up. But he will change your life. He will open your eyes to see the world through his eyes. He will lead you to a time of praising. And that will lead to a time of complete surrender. Out of love. Are you ready for a prayer? Do you stand up or sit down when we pray? Sit down. Let's bow our heads as we conclude this message and respond. Are you interested in contribution or surrender? How much do we love? Do you want to stay in that pit? Just want to get out and do whatever you like with your life? Or come to that point of say, Lord, I want to live for your glory your kingdom. Father, we bow in your presence because we ask you at the beginning of this gathering that you will be the Lord of our meeting. You will be amongst us. You will speak and you will minister to each and every one of us. We call upon your grace and glory to fill this place. And we pray that Christ will be lifted up. We see him loving us so much and giving that eternal declaration from the cross. I love you and I'm dying for you. For those who are in the pit of sin, for those who are in the pit of discouragement and despair, for those that are struggling with the challenges and difficulties of life, for each and every one of us, Lord, I pray, help us to look up. Help us to look at Christ, His grace, His love, His almighty power. Lord, lead us to that point of love that will lead us to surrender. Because we want to serve you, not only today, but all of our lives. In the name of Jesus. Amen.